I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. People aren't just buying calories. They are buying into a story and a feeling that they get because they're eating something that's good. You know, we want to make sure that we are creating a product that has the right texture, that has the right feel. And so we do really take the business side of this very seriously. And a big part of that is water activity. Welcome to another episode of Water and Food. Today, I'm excited to have Evan Delahanty from Peaceful Fruits. Uh, hi, Evan. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Zachary. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, I'm excited for our listeners to learn about your dried fruit snack company. And, you know, to start off, what inspired you to start this company? Yeah, I started Peaceful Fruits after serving for two years in the United States Peace Corps. So uh, agency under the United States State Department. I was a community economic development specialist deep in the heart of the Amazon rainforest. And uh when I came back, I wanted to stay connected to the mission of Peace Corps, which is all about respectful and responsible economic empowerment. And I wanted to, at the same time, you know, bring that bring that idea home and also bring home some of the amazing fruits that I had uh, enjoyed down there in the Amazon. And so I started a, a dried fruit snack company as a way to connect people back to the Amazon and connect the Amazon to people here, all, all while doing it in a, in a way that would create economic opportunity. And what drove you to towards looking into the Peace Corps? You know, how did you make that decision? And, you know, for any of our listeners um, out there who, who are considering the Peace Corps, uh, what, what can you tell us about your experience? I mean, it, it was it was a, a great experience. It was really impactful on my life. And uh, for, for me, I took a little bit of, a, of an abnormal path to the Peace Corps, which might appeal to a lot of the folks out there. Um, you know, I wasn't... Uh, 22 year old, you know, fresh out of college in, in Birkenstocks, trying to find myself kind of a thing. You know, I was, I was early career, but you know, I've been working for four or five years uh, and I consciously chose to do Peace Corps instead of going and doing an MBA. Um, you know, it's a two year program where you don't make any money and you invest in yourself personally and professionally. It's, you know, similar to grad school in a lot of ways, but obviously it puts you on a, on a very different path. And it was the path that, that spoke to me because I wanted to, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to go from, you know, just just uh, the day to day of corporate life, which is, you know, what I was doing before, before Peace Corps. I wanted to jump into trying to really make a difference in people's lives in some of the uh, areas that get, are getting left behind by modern progress. And so, you know, I mean, I literally remember having the uh, MBA applications up on one screen and the Peace Corps applications up on the other screen. I'm a, I'm a two screen monitor kind of guy. Can't live without it. Um, but uh, and the Peace Corps app is just what called me to follow my heart and uh, try to make a difference that way. And then when I came back, like I said, I tried to tie those two, you know, business, passion and education that I've done in my life along to the mission of the Peace Corps. And while you were there in the Amazon, what products did you come across that, you know, kind of pointed you in, in the direction that you are going in now? And what were some of the flavors of your first products? Yeah, yeah. So when I when I was down there, I mean, I'd, I'd heard of acai, um, obviously, you know, it was, but but down there, I mean, it literally falls from the trees, uh, and uh, they call it potosiri um, or a poto, um, and it's just everywhere, you know, falling literally falling from the trees like acorns in you know in, in uh, northeast Ohio where I live now, um, and just really experiencing fruit you know, fresh from mother nature. I mean, I grew up, um, you know, right across the street from an, an apple and peach orchard. So I, I know what a difference that makes, but you just, you know, you never get that for tropical fruits. I mean, literally, you know, mangoes season and mangoes would just be 
everywhere, you know, papayas, acai, pineapple. It was just, I mean, the flavor was so amazing. And I just wanted, I really wanted to, to share that with people. And the other thing is that it's a great way to connect with these small farmers, these small, you know, people, communities that uh, are, are often, you know, they're only, they're only economic uh, opportunities are very extractive, right? Leave their land and move to the city, you know, become a construction worker, become a illegal gold miner in Suriname, the country where I, I was in, it was a lot of, you know, illegal gold mining, illegal logging. And uh, there just weren't a lot of ways to make a living while respecting the land and uh, maintaining it. And so that's where I got into acai was working with a co-op that, you know, uses wild harvested acai that they then, you know, help the, the farmers uh, harvest, and then they process it into the acai juice that I then use to make my very first fruit snacks were um, acai-based. And we just, you know, blended the acai with other other flavors and other things to make a couple different products. And, and that's what we started with was literally that wild harvested acai from the Amazon that was helping people to make a living while staying on their land. So you returned back to the States and, you know, you had an idea of, of the flavors and the fruits that you wanted to, to work with. But what did the the early days of your R&D look like? Can you, can you describe that experience? <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. Uh, I think my first you know, I, I, my first ideas were not around, uh, uh, you know, trying it to make fruit snacks. Um, you know, I looked at a, a lot of different angles, you know, originally I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a, you know, fruit importer, you know, I, my background is in more of a business logistics. So, you know, I'll buy container loads here and ship them there and, you know, supply people, but it turns out that's pretty capital intensive. Um, and I didn't have the, uh, the capital or the infrastructure, you know, or the, or the network to do that. So I, I needed to make a value added product. And so I started looking at what could I do with these amazing fruits that would connect back, but still be, you know, a value added product that I could start from nothing and build up little by little. And, uh, you know, my, it's actually funny sitting around the kitchen table with my parents, you know, my dad suggested like, well, you know, you can make dried fruits, you know, dried fruit snacks out of, you know, apple or blueberry. Like, can you do it out of acai? I was like, well, nobody is. And I don't know if that's because you can't or, or why, but I'll find out. And so I started making acai fruit snacks literally in uh, uh, old circular with a hole in the middle, you know, Ronco, Nesco, whatever, um, you know, off brand, uh, tiny little dehydrator that my parents had had in their basement probably since the 80s. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was my first first acai fruit snacks were in that little Ronco. And then, you know, <laughs> we graduated to a, uh, you know, an Excalibur you know, one of those little $200 ones that you can buy on eBay or whatever. And then we went up to a, you know, 16 shelf Cabela's and then, uh, you know, just kind of step by step, moved it up to actually commercial grade machines until now we've got a, uh, you know, a, a still, still a small guy, but we've got a roll in dehydrator where we can roll, you know, uh, eight bakery carts, you know, full of fruits and everything else, roll them in, shut the door and, uh, and really go to town to get some scale. And how long has that upscaling um, taken? You know, you, you started off basically in, in your mom's kitchen using that dehydrator and now yep. you're on yep. a much bigger level. How long has that process taken? Uh, taken a lot. I have to be honest. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, somebody smarter than me said that, you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Um, and, uh, it hasn't been 10 years yet, but I'm not an overnight success yet either. So who knows? Um, but, somewhere uh, in, in between, <laughs> somewhere in between. Yeah. But no, I, so I started, um, I got back from Peace Corps in, in 2014 and just, you know, was doing those very early stages of, 
ideation and experimentation um, kind of through 2014 into 2015. And then I started to uh, you know, work on the business through a series of accelerators and, and incubators um, in 2016 uh, and really got serious about it there at the end of 2016, early 2017. So that's been, you know, four, four years now that it took, you know, to, to get to, to make each of those steps to where now we were able to, you know, we're producing at, you know, commercial quantities and qualities and, you know, able to service larger clients like, you know, Kroger or Target um, that uh, it, it takes a long time. It takes, takes a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sweat, especially when the dehydrator's on, because it's warm in there. <laughs> well, and and I also understand a few years ago you were on Shark Tank on season eight, I believe. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk about that experience and how it helped you, even though you didn't receive any investments um, at the time. How spoiler did that alert, Zach. Oh, spoiler <laughs> alert! Come on. I mean, you have to check out the episode. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. It's been been a, been a two or three years, so I guess uh, if you haven't seen it by now, it's your own fault, right? That's right. Um, but uh, but yeah yeah you're exactly right. I mean it was it was a huge experience and just so much fun. I mean one one of the most fun things I've ever done, which I don't know if that says good things or bad things about my personality, but hey. Um, but yeah we uh, we had literally um, we had done a an accelerator where it ended in a you know five minute like local access televised you know local NPR radio whatever pitch contest where we ended up winning twenty twenty thousand dollars. Um, and you know, everybody, every little old lady in the grocery store, when I would be there, you know, hustling my product, um, at the local health food stores, you know, every little old lady would say, you should go on shark tank, Sonny. And I was like, well, you know, that's the most useless advice I ever heard, but thank you for the sentiment. Um, but after we won that accelerator, that pitch contest, I was like, well, why not? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll send them a, you know, drop them a line. And so I, you know, emailed shark tank and said like, Hey, you know, these guys thought I was good enough to, um, put on you know, local P NPR or PBS or whatever it was, um, you guys should put me on TV. And then they called me back and I jumped through a lot of hoops very, very quickly. And uh, about two months later, I was standing in front of Mark Cuban and the rest pitching Peaceful Fruits with uh, literally, literally like half a Kickstarter. We were in the middle of a Kickstarter at that point, um, half a Kickstarter and about 57 web orders to my name. So we, I mean, we had barely... I, you know, I, I, like we were barely a commercial business with a legitimate sale when we went on there. And uh, yeah, then, you know, no spoilers, but essentially that's what the sharks said is, you know, you're, you're, this is a great idea. It's a great product. We love the story behind it. You know, everything you're doing is, is, is great and you're on a good track, but uh, you're just way too small and early stage for us, you know, come back when you have half a million dollars in sales or something like that. Um, but uh, we hope you get there. Good luck, you know? So it was a very, very positive experience. Good. And and one of the things that you talk about in the episode and even that you mentioned at the start of this podcast is on your company's philosophy and how you've been able to to really hold on to that. So I, I was wondering if you could take a moment and come back to that philosophy and just talk about how you've been able to maintain it as you've grown in size. Yeah, I, I think that's that's so critical is, you know, to have a vision for what you want to do, both, you know, personally and professionally and where those things meet. Because especially when you're talking about food, you know, food is life. Food is, is, is how people connect with themselves and with other people and, and, and with the world, right? Um, and so it's all about the values that go into that exchange. You know, people aren't just buying calories from me. They are buying into uh, a story and a feeling that they get because they're eating 
something that's good. And it's not just good because of the flavor or because, you know, we put the good ingredients in it. You know, we don't put, you know, junky fillers. We just put healthy fruit, but it's also good because of that story behind it. And they get to be part of that story. And for me, as we talked about, that story starts in the Amazon, but then it comes all the way home here to, to Akron, just a kid from Akron, right? If anybody's heard that one out there, I think uh, some guy started saying that. I don't know what was his name, you know, Le- LeBran? I don't know. Good guy. No, actually, somebody, very, yeah, yeah, very good guy. We went, we actually were uh, same year in high school, um, but we went, he went to my homecoming rival. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so, you know, I wanted to bring that same philosophy back here to Northeast Ohio. Um, and so as I was scaling the company, I wanted to not just be sourcing the right kind of fruit in the right way. I also wanted to make sure that I was employing people to help me do this, that were part of that same mission of economic empowerment. And so I'm, you know, very proud to say that, you know, Peaceful Fruits is a, is a certified B Corps, you know, and a part of our economic empowerment mission here in Ohio, we are actually employing adults with disabilities in full wage jobs. Um, that make, you know, every single one of the snacks that goes out the door. Um, they're, you know, they're my team of folks. We, we partner with a local nonprofit um, and, you know, they're full wage. They're core part of the team. They're literally making the snacks, packing them and shipping them out there. You know, th- that is who is, is, is making my products. Um, and that means that when you order from Peaceful Fruits, like it really is made with love because this is a team of folks that are just so excited and so passionate to be part of something as opposed to just sort of being, you know, left behind, swept under the rug, you know, given junky opportunities to sit around and stare into space, you know, they, they have so much more to offer. And I'm so proud to be able to, to, to be part of offering that better thing. And, uh, and then they do a great job. You know, they just flat out do a great job at helping me make my products and build my business. So it, it's really just a win-win for everybody. And, and we feel great about it. And if there's someone out there listening who, you know, who is really connecting with the message that that you're giving today and is interested in learning more about your company or, or maybe even a, a job position, what can that person do to, to reach you or, or to learn more? I'd encourage anybody to go to peacefulfruits.com. You know, we're, like I said, we're a small company. If you call the number, you know, I'm the one that answers the phone. You, you send an email, you know, it gets to me pretty quickly. Um, and uh, we love to connect with people, you know, they're, uh, especially, on the you know on the food science side we're always developing and pushing forward to do more because we don't we don't give ourselves a lot of tools here at peaceful fruits you know we haven't talked about that part of it much yet but i mean we really keep it simple in terms of working with you know just whole fruit you know blends working with you know just air and time and love um and so we get really creative to get different flavors different colors different shapes configurations textures and so we uh it takes a lot of, of uh of, of know-how to, to do that. And then of course, all the, you know, sales, marketing, growth side of things. Um, so we're a, we're a small team, but we're growing quick and uh, we always love to connect with people that can, can help us do that and then fight with our mission. And as you've started to expand and, and move beyond acai, what other fruits have you started to work with and, and where are they sourced from? Yeah, we work with a, a wide variety of fruits at this point. You know, I started with acai, but on the business side, you know, what I realized is that, not everybody wants to buy an acai fruit snack, right? And so we've expanded over time to uh, to other fruits that might be more accessible to you know different taste buds or different price points. Um, and we we tr- always try to maintain that that you know that we're, to make sure that we're sourcing things in the right way. But you know we work with a great organization out of Central America. You know 
obviously many hundreds of miles from where I was in Peace Corps volunteer. I don't, I can't claim to know them personally, but, uh, but, you know, we've built a relationship with them. We see the certifications that they get, you know, we look at the relationships that they have and that we've built with them. And we trust that the mango and the pineapple and the passion fruit that we get from them is, is the right thing that gives, it matches our values. And then, you know, same thing we work with, you know, apples and, 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 and pears and other fruits like that, where, you know, same thing, I've been buying that from the same family in Oregon uh, since I started the business because they do things right. They a hundred percent do things right. And that's, uh, that's really important when you're, when you, like I said, you're making food that's more than just calories. And along this journey, when did you start to realize that measuring water activity was important for your business? Yeah, here we go. Getting into the good stuff now. <laughs> really uh, now. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, it's cause it is, it is the good stuff because you have to, you know, all the feel good. That's what Mr. Wonderful said to me, you know, when I was on Shark Tank is we're here in America, we got to make money. It's the reality. Can't do any good if you're, if you're starving on the street, unfortunately. Um, and so we do really take the business side of this very seriously. And a big part of that is water activity. Um, because for us, uh, there's, there's two things that, that really matter in terms of water activity. You know, one is safety. The, the process that we have where we are, you know, we're not putting in any preservatives. We're not, um, because I'm using, you know, whole fruit purees, which means that I, I don't, I don't drop the mango into the blender myself anymore. When I started, I did, but you know, we now buy them already pre-pureed. They pureed in Nicaragua for us or wherever, but, um, but, you know, we're dealing with whole fruit purees, which means that from harvest to harvest, from batch to batch, you know, we don't get a precise bricks. We don't get a precise pH. You know, we're not controlling those variables by adding, you know, a, a 50 pound bag of, of citric acid or who knows what. Um, and so making sure that the product ends up safe is, is super important to us. And so being able to hit a water activity spec where we know that this is going to be shelf stable, nothing bad can grow. Um, that's, that's very, very critical to our process. Um, and then on the other side of that is of course, you know, we want to make sure that we are creating a product that has the right texture, that has the right feel and where we're not, um, you know, leaving money on the table, so to speak, where, Though for us, it's often one and the same, right? You know, if if I over dried it, then it's too dry and it's not a good texture anyway. So, you know, finding that right balance of moisture is 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 super critical for the quality of the product and for the efficiency of, of our operations. So, yeah, we I mean, we we use that water activity meter every single day to check the batch, you know, beginning, middle end and everywhere in between. And w what did things look like before you had that water activity meter? How, how did you know that you we're at a, a safe point and, and what would you do if a food inspector came around? Yeah. Um, when we first started, you know, I sent product out to the, to the Cornell food lab to get, um, to get tested. And so we were still, we were still depending on water activity, but it, I mean, it was very much, to be honest, it was very much the eyeball method. Right. I mean, and uh, the, the pro is that for my products, you know, basically if it peels out, you know, you do enough of the testing and if it'll peel out of the tray, it's probably under 0.65, right? <laughs> That's the reality is that it's probably, uh, it's probably safe if it's not total pudding, right? Um, but probably safe is not exactly what, you know, customers or, uh, or inspectors always want to hear as you kind of alluded to there, Zach. So yeah, I mean that, but that was, that was what it was is we were, you know, we were periodically testing with outside labs, which is slow and, uh, and, um, you know, expensive potentially, and just not very reactive as opposed to, 
you know, where we can literally check a batch and say, well, yeah, of course it feels done, but what does it actually read at? Like, oh, we're at 0. 0.32. We, we need to, you know, we can knock 20 minutes off this recipe or, oh, we're at 0. 0.6, you know, 60 on the nose. Like, great. We're just under, we know we're safe. We're still getting a great texture, you know, get that stuff in the bag and get it out the door. Yeah. So it sounds like now, you know, you can move uh, forward with certainty and, and really know where your products are. And it sounds like you've been able to make uh, not only safer products, but but more consistent as well. Um, and now that uh, you continue to expand, what are some of the goals that you have for the rest of this year and, and maybe moving on to next year? Our goal is really to expand the product line. Um, and as I was talking about before, I mean, we have really taken this time during COVID. Uh, obviously, it was a tough time for a lot of businesses. And, and for us, you know, fortunately, we do enough uh, sales online that we weren't um, hit as hard as some folks. But uh, but I really chose to spend that time just double down on product development. And so what we've done is is, is come up with, you know, we're, we've got eight flavors, you know, on, on peacefulfruits.com right now. But, you know, by the time that some folks are listening to this in the next couple of weeks and couple months, um, they're, they're going to see, you know, maybe 30, you know, a couple dozen new products, new flavors. I, you know, I don't know how many will, will end up fully launching, but we've developed over uh, over three dozen products, flavors, configurations that we are, um, you know, selecting the winners of what we want to launch here over the next couple months and into next year, um, because that's what we want to do. We want to keep innovating. We want to keep developing. You know, I, I spent uh, months and months trying to make my strawberry taste, you know, more like strawberry. You know, I spent a lot of time making these natural fruits without the coloring, without additional flavoring, really taste like what, you know, you think of that fruit, look like that fruit, taste like that fruit, act like that fruit. We put a lot of thought into it. And uh, we see consumers are, are interested and are excited to try more natural products. And so we're excited to be able to offer those. And are you running any any type of taste panels? I'm ma mainly asking for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. Um, we do. Yeah, we do. We did a lot of focus grouping, you know, early on. Um, you know, we had started some of this part of pre-COVID, obviously. So we did a lot of focus grouping early on to sort of direct us in, in uh, what directions to, to go on. But uh, but yeah, now as we're starting to show things to to buyers at the stores and and beyond, we are we're definitely going to open it back up to the public. So I'll, I'll keep you in mind. <laughs> Thank you. And one of the products that caught my attention um, are your edible stickers. And I was wondering if you could talk a, a little bit more about that production process and how moisture has played a role there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's one of the new products that we are um, are putting out. It's uh, sort of our take on the old, you know, peel and eat um, that a couple of like fruit roll-up style companies did, but we, we took a very different take on it um, to make it more fun to really create more colors and flavors and shapes. Um, and, uh, it, but, but for this product, I mean, water activity and, and moisture are just really, really critical because, you know, again, we're not adding artificial sugars or, or, you know, or even, you know, cane sugar, we're not, we're just using the fruit. And so you need it to be the right kind of sticky, right? You need it, you need it to, um, you know, not leave residue and, and smear when they pull it off the backing, you need it to not, you know, smear all over the front of the package or over the kids or, you know, or adults. I don't judge. Uh, we all love fruit snacks. Um, you know, you want it to not smear all over your fingers. You want it to peel off easily, but then you still want it to be, you know, sticky. So it's, it's this, it's really fine, um, band of, you know, sticky enough, but not too sticky, you know, moist and pleasant to chew, but not too moist. Um, 
And so when you have a stack of stick of edible stickers like that, I mean, you got to you got to really fine tune it, especially when you're talking about, all right, well, you got it right with the pineapple, but raspberry is a totally different beast. So we've done a lot of, you know, of, of the scientific method of trial and error and testing and measuring and, you know, reconfiguring recipes and heating profiles and everything else to get to the right, um, you know, shelf stable, right water activity, right moisture content so that it, so that it turns out acting, you know, feeling, tasting, texture, mouthfeel, release from the, the the sticker backing, all those things, it turns out the right way. So it's something that's fun to play with and fun to eat. And for each of those different products or even dish, each uh, different flavor, are you setting a, a very specific water activity spec for each of them so that you can get that desired texture and flavor? Or how does that play a role in your process? Yeah, some, some the interesting thing for us is that um, definitely some fruits and some shapes, or I shouldn't say shapes, actually some some depths really are much more uh, forgiving than others. So it's really been a learning process for us where what we know is, you know, raspberry, like I, like I said, raspberry is uh, much easier to mess up than blueberry. You know, you, you I don't know, you know, seems, seems you wouldn't think they're that different. And a lot of people actually steer away from blueberry because it has some issues, but, um, but with our process, the way that we've worked it out, I can make blueberry turn out right every single time. I'm good at blueberry, but raspberry, you'll often have texture issues. You'll have color issues. You know, the the red will want to fade to brown. Um, and so for raspberry, we have to, yeah, we have a very specific tight target on it um, where we, you know, we know that if we get outside that, it's 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 not going to be good. Um, but blueberry, ah, blueberry is easy, right? Long as it's under six, five, eh, you know, anywhere in there, it's, it's going to be fine. It's not going to mess up. Uh, hmm. I don't know why it is, but some, like I said, some fruits are just finicky. So. And you mentioned your, your website earlier. Is that the best place to find your products or where, where else can a listener find your products? Yeah, I think, I mean, especially, especially with COVID, you know, we really, like I said, it pushed, pushed a lot of people online. So we don't, you know, we, we haven't, we don't have a nation, nationwide uh, storefront presence yet, though that uh, may be changing soon. So stay tuned. But, uh, but definitely, you know, for, for folks that are just out there listening, you're not sure. I mean, can't, uh, can't argue with Amazon order it today, get it tomorrow eat it, enjoy it, and give us a five-star review. There you go. Well, my, <laughs> my last question for you is, you know, we have a lot of people from early stage food companies who, who tune into water and food. And what advice would you have for them? You know, you've been through this process from, you know, your inspiration through the Peace Corps, uh, being in farmer's markets, being at your mom's kitchen, and now a, a commercial kitchen. Uh, what advice would you have for somebody who's, who's in an earlier stage uh, just starting off? So it's it's interesting. I've actually, you know, we do, we do a little bit of you know consulting and R and D work for other companies, um, and you know I've made so many mistakes. Uh, some of them, you know, cheaper and some of them more expensive. And I see other people, you know, making these mistakes. And I try to, you know, you try to help folks do it. But but part of it is you just have to not be afraid to make mistakes. You're gonna get things wrong. You know, if you don't reprint packaging at least once in your life, or at least print correction labels, like you're not you're you're not having you're not having enough fun. You know what I mean? Like you you know you better you're you're gonna mess it up at some point. So just accept that, forgive yourself, and di and dive in. You got to just start trying. That's that's one big thing. And then and then number two, I mean, it really like I'm 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 working with a, a company right now that that we're helping out with some R and D and potentially some production, and you know they were working with a different co man a co manufacturer which. I, you know, I heavily recommend 
if you can, yeah, I mean, find someone that knows more than you to make it. Like it makes your life easier. But and this is the key but that these guys weren't doing prior to working with me. They didn't know what their product was being dried at, right? They didn't know what temperature. They didn't know what um, you know what what how long. They didn't know they had the the, the, the manufacturer they're working with didn't have a water activity meter. Didn't have a critical spec. They didn't have any data that you know when i'm asking this coming like you know okay well how do you like it We're like well you know not too dry but not too wet like well what does that mean <laughs> you know like give us put some numbers on it and that's where you do have to get you have to force yourself to be scientific and you know if you can't if you if there you know if you can't afford a fancy machine then send it out borrow somebody's that does if you can't if you can't do that then you know just keep your notes keep your science keep your you know as detailed as you can so because little by little, that's what you're going to need to scale up is that very detailed process that literally anyone can do. Right. You don't you don't need a ten thousand dollar piece of equipment to start doing that. Are you going to need one eventually? Yeah, of course you are if you're successful. But you can start off little by little and then work your way up the chain. And, and that's what it takes. You know, you can't go from zero to ten thousand overnight, you know, unless you're way, way, you know. Way, way, way richer than I am, right? I guess if you have the capital, great. But for most of us out there, you just got to start step by step by step. Keep good records, keep good data, keep using the scientific method, and little by little, you'll get there. Yeah, and no, I, I think it takes the capital, but it also takes the experience and it, it takes the inspiration. And I really appreciate you taking your time to to tell us your story today. So thank you, Evan. Uh, uh, just a kid from Akron. We really appreciate you. My pleasure. My Thanks, pleasure. Zachary. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.